it's so fun getting to get invited up here by your wife. Um, not a lot of pastors get to do that. And I actually asked her, I said, hey, why don't you introduce me as your favorite pastor? Because I should have that on lock if anybody has it on lock. And she said that might be a little biased, and I got that, but thanks so much. And there is a lot of exciting things um, going on around here. For me, just being here today with you guys is exciting, because like she said, I don't normally get to be up here. So Sundays, I usually lead the middle school service for our sixth to eighth graders, um, and then I get to come over here and be part of the service and, and sit and learn like you guys. And they asked me, Um, while Matt's gone, when we're kind of doing a rotation, if I would come up here. And I said, absolutely. And I thought, Freddie's been up there twice. I haven't been there up yet. Finally, somebody asked me to get up there, and I'm glad that I can get up here. So, But Freddie's done a great job. Everybody has done a great job. Um, And I'm just so excited to bring the message, especially today on the 4th of July. So I love the 4th of July. It's something that I look forward to every, every year, Independence Day, outside of Easter and Christmas. Like, 4th of July is my jam. I love the food. I love the fun. I love fireworks. For being here as part of your 4th of July. And getting up here this morning is a little different for me. I get to be up here and give a message almost weekly, but it's on Tuesday nights, and it's to our middle and high schoolers for Canvas Youth. So that's when I'm usually up here mic'd up, giving a message, And being here on a Sunday is different. The biggest difference this morning, though, is that I can, like, reach out here and not punch a big glass screen right in front of me because there's no plexiglass and there's no masks. And this is so awesome. Let's just hear it for that real quick. So we're so excited. I can actually see you guys and not just a reflection of myself. And I'd rather look at you guys than a reflection of me talking for 30 minutes. So I'm very excited about that. The other thing I'm excited for is that um, talking to you guys here on Sunday is different than Tuesdays because... Like most of you know, sometimes it's hard to keep the attention of, you know, an 11-year-old or a 15-year-old, anywhere um, in that range. So they actually say you get one minute per age that they are. So for my sixth graders that are 11, they say I get 11 minutes of attention. Sometimes it feels like I don't get that at all, but they say you get 11 minutes of attention to drive a point home and teach them something that they might actually remember. After 11 minutes, they start to zone out. For our high schoolers, you get more. 18-year-olds, you get 18 minutes. Either way, it doesn't feel like a long time. So I really try and make my points exciting and engaging and really keep their attention as much as possible to help with that. But this crowd's a little different, so I made the most boring, not engaging message as possible because I want to no, I'm just kidding. I really hope that you guys um, will enjoy what I have to say today and what God really put on my heart. Um, And to start with some entertainment or engagement, I wanted to let you guys know a little bit more about me. So overall, I'm a pretty healthy guy, um, no real main medical conditions, and I love to be outside and explore. I love to get out and I love to play sports. And basically when I wasn't healthy, it's because I played sports too hard and broke something. Um, And I love to go out and hike, paddleboard, golf. I'm a huge golfer. If anybody ever wants to go, please talk to me after the message. Love to get out there. Um, I just love being outdoors. But the outdoors don't really love me back. You see, I have these things called allergies, and a lot of them are to the things outside. Does anybody else have some allergies? I know that Kristen has some bad ones she's been struggling with this week, and other people this past two weeks have been rough. Um, It's been pretty good for me these past two weeks, but it's something that I've struggled with my whole life. Going outside, I was basically deciding, hey, do I want to go outside and have fun, but also be miserable 
um, afterwards with a stuffy nose, sore throat, all that kind of stuff. It's actually caused me to have a couple surgeries on my sinuses and on my nose. I've had my adenoids removed twice because they grew back a second time, which like isn't really supposed to happen, but mine did. Um, and it's just, it's something I've struggled with my whole life. Fires, pollen, cut grass is a really bad one, which for me growing up was great because I got out of mowing the lawn using that one. Um, but now I'm getting older and I won't have that forever. Um, but one thing I didn't really struggle with was food allergies. Food allergies were not a struggle of mine, which was great because I am a foodie. I love trying new cuisines from new cultures and just getting out there and eating um, some good food. And allergies was never really on my mind when it came to that until I got to high school. You see, in high school, for some reason, um, my freshman year of high school, I just like didn't eat an apple for like a year or anything with apple really in it. And they say an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I just didn't listen to that and didn't eat anything with apple or apple juice or anything like that, and, which was weird for me because I lived really close to my grandma, who's a baker, and her apple pie is like the, one of the best memories. I can almost taste it just when I talk about it. She does homemade, uh, the crust, everything um, about her apple pie was just my favorite. And I also ate a lot of apples and peanut butter growing up, and then I just stopped for a year. Fast forward to sophomore year of high school, after this whole year of not eating apples, and there was all of a sudden an apple pie in my house that my grandma made. I forget if she visited or if she sent it or if somebody visited her and brought it back, but I was pumped. I was like, let's get some apple pie. I told my family, I was like, this is my slice, and it was half, it was half the pie. I was like, you guys can have the rest of it, but this is my slice. So after dinner, we're all cutting up the apple pie, and we sit down to eat it, and I take a bite, and now it's just as delicious as I remembered it. It had some vanilla ice cream on the side. Take another bite. And I kind of start feeling a little funny, not, nothing too major. And I look up to my brother and sister and they say, hey, are, are you feeling okay? Something just looks off about you. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I'm probably just exhausted from all the hanging out we did today because it was the middle of summer. Took a few more bites and I was probably like halfway through my slice at this time, which I took a pretty big slice. And I look up and my sister goes, Bradley. And like, she doesn't really call me by my first name. For those of you who are here for Mother's Day, Bubby or Bub was like what my family called me. So when they say my name, something was kind of up. And she says, Bradley. I'm like, what? She's like, your face is as red as the apples that were used to make that pie. And I was like, that's weird because I don't really feel good. Like, that's not usual. And I go to the bathroom and I look in the mirror and like take this shirt and put it on my face. That's the red that I was. So what did I do? Like any high schooler um, who had had allergies before, I kind of knew it was allergies. I popped three Benadryl and I went to sleep for like 11 hours. Like I just tapped out and was like, my body with the Benadryl will heal. And I woke up the next morning and I was fine. Um, that night I had a little bit of labored breathing, which I was a little worried about, but I've been used to having allergies before, just not to food. So my mom is more worried than I am. She calls the doctor and they say, hey, be aware of it if it happens again, or like try and stay away from it and maybe just do a little bit in your diet and see what happens. So I tried it again a little bit, upset stomach, you know, just didn't feel well. And it turns out that I was allergic um, to apples. I didn't have it before. Somehow I'd acquired it or something about apples changed, but I started having these reactions to apples and I was bummed. So that was my only food allergy. And my mom called and got me an EpiPen. Fast forward eight, or eight, no eight months ago, and my wife and I are in North Carolina, and we're just kind of starting to date and figuring things out. And she says, hey, I'm going to make a meal for you. Do you have any food allergies? I'm like, actually, yes, I do. I'm allergic to apples. And that's it. So pretty easy. Not a lot of recipes have apples in them. And she says, okay, thanks for letting me know. Um, just 
wondering, do you have an EpiPen or anything for if you run into apples? And I was like, yeah, I have an EpiPen, I'm good. And she's like, okay, great. Um, a few weeks go by and my wife loves um, gummies, these fruit gummies, and she offers me some. And I'm like, actually, those have apple in them, apple juice in them, so I can't have them. And she looks, and it's one of the later ingredients and something that we don't really think about. Now when she offers me things with apples, I know it's because she's just trying to get rid of me, so I'm just aware of that a little bit more now. But this time, no, I'm just kidding. But this time she really didn't know. And she said, oh, it's a good thing you know that. Um, do you have your EpiPen with you? And I kind of looked at her, and I was like, no, I don't have my EpiPen with me. She's like, why don't you have your EpiPen with you? You said that you have one. And I was like, yeah, I have one in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we were living in North Carolina. So it's 500 miles away. And she says... You told me you have one. I was like, I have one. It's 500 miles away in Pennsylvania, like most guys or most people. And she's like, well, that's not very helpful, is it? She's kind of not upset, but she's just like worried about me for my health. And she says, that's not helpful. And I said, I just kind of hope that I'll never need it. So I kind of forgot about it and I left it in Pittsburgh. And she said, well, when I asked you if you have an EpiPen and you said you have one, but it's 500 miles away, do you really have an EpiPen? And my question for us today along those lines is about our faith. It's about our faith. You see, I hoped I'd never have to use my EpiPen. So I kept living life and I forgot about it as I moved through life. My question is, are we doing that with our faith? Have we decided a while ago, a week ago, or even recently to have a faith, to put our faith in Jesus, to follow God, and say, you know what, I, I have a faith and I am now a Christ follower. But then we kind of put it on the shelf, hoping to say, I hope I never need this. I hope that I never have to use it. Because when that happens and you continue to live life, it's easy to forget about it completely. If I were to run into some apples now, I wouldn't reach for my EpiPen because I just am not used to having it around. My question is, is that some of us when life comes to push us around? Do we forget about our faith because we've been living for so long without it or living so long hoping not to use it that we forget about it completely? If we have a faith, but we've shelved it and left it 500 miles away, like I did with my EpiPen, do we really have a faith at all? And my question today is, do we have a faith? And if so, what is that faith supposed to look like? How can I tell when I have a faith? And that's where we're going to start today. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much that we have a, a God that we can put our faith in and know is there for us, who lifts us from our grave and gives us life, gives us hope and a future. I pray today that you can just speak through me. And if there's anything I'm not supposed to say, you don't want me to say, God, have me forget it. And if there's anything you want me to say, bring it to mind, God. I pray that we can learn more about you, grow closer to you, and closer together today. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So we're in this series called Heroes BC. And these are Old Testament characters. I don't really like the word characters because it brings fiction, feels like a book or like a story, but we'll call them characters. These Old, old Testament men um, and women who we look at and say, these are heroes of the Bible. These are heroes of our faith. And I was kind of going around and I was struggling on who to talk about because there's a lot of different um, people in the Old Testament to look at who could be heroes and who could really learn a good story from. But when it came to having a true faith and what it's supposed to look like, I landed on three of my favorite Old Testament guys. And it's, they're my favorite because I learned them 
from VeggieTales growing up. It was actually one of my favorite episodes. It was called Rack Shack and Benny. Does anybody know what I'm talking about out there? Rack Shack and Benny? So their full names, VeggieTales shortened them to make them a little bit easier, are Shadrack, Meshack, and Abednego. Anybody heard of those guys before? So I loved the VeggieTales uh, episode or movie of Rack, Shack, and Benny. I just thought it was so entertaining and so good. And I'm so excited today that I get to talk about these guys because they are true heroes of the faith. But before we get to them, we kind of have to set the scene. What was going on before they came into the picture? What was their foe? What did their lives look like? What was going on around them? And to do that, we're actually going to talk about their their nemesis of the story or the bad guy, the villain, if we're talking heroes and villains of the story. And his name is King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm just going to call him King Neb just because it's a little bit easier to roll off the tongue. Um, I hope you guys, but his full name is King Nebuchadnezzar. And at this time, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were living in Jerusalem, he, King Neb, was the king of Babylon. And he went on this conquest and started conquering a bunch of different people. And he started putting them under his rule. And um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three of these Jerusalem, Jerusalem people that he conquered. And I just want to say this real quick, just as a side note. It's not just the Bible who tells us about King Neb and his empires and that kind of stuff. History also confirms it outside of the biblical context completely. You can look up King Nebuchadnezzar in historical books and scrolls and see about his life and see about his conquests and what he took over. And that's just one of the many times in the Bible when you can completely remove the Bible and just pick some people in it and find them in historical accounts. It's not just the Bible creating these people. These were real people with real lives. And it happens again and again in the Bible and in our history books that we can match them up. And it's just one of the ways that we can know that what the Bible says is true. So back on to King Neb, he overthrew Jerusalem. And when anybody overthrows something, they have to decide what kind of ruler and how they're going to, you know, keep them conquered. So some people do this differently. Rome, for example, when Jesus was alive, did this by levying heavy taxes, like unbelievably large taxes on the Jews. And they made them pay a ton of money. It kept them poor. It kept them powerless. And it made there be bad situations whenever they didn't pay, dire situations when they didn't pay their taxes. That's how Rome decided to rule over the Jews in the New Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, when King Neb um, was ruling the Jews, he was, I don't know, a little bit craftier or went a different route than most conquerors do. So he could have done taxes. He could have just enslaved everybody and sent them somewhere else back to Babylon, for example, and left only his people in the new areas. But he did something different. He actually kind of brainwashed the people that he took over. And for some of us, we hear brainwashed and we think of science fiction. We think of the movies you've seen where somebody's sitting in a chair tied down with their eyes glued to a screen and they just watch the same images over and over. And that's kind of what it looks like in our movies. But brainwashing is actually something that can, that can happen over time. And brainwashing, it's literally washing away somebody's, what's in their brain and their identity that they have and putting something new on it. So that's what King Neb decided to do and how he decided to keep his people ruled. And how did he do this? He took the important people, the important young people specifically, the young nobles, the young men of esteemed families, um, the So now, 
you'll talk like us. So these Jewish people now, when they talk, especially the important people, sounded like Babylonians. They were erasing, washing away their Jewish heritage in their language. Next, and this is kind of where um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come in, because this happened to them. He brought them in, the important people, and he actually like, took care of them better than the rest of the people. He fed them from their table and gave them opportunities that other Jewish people didn't have. And that's what he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then after that, after their three years in school and feeding them really well, um, King Neb actually gave the Jewish people who he chose some positions of power or esteem. But he treated them well. He said, hey, you guys are going to do this for me. You're welcome. And a lot of them did it. And they did this, he brainwashed them in this way so that when they're trying to be in a revolt and people would come to the powerful people, the young nobles, um, the young people of esteem, they'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are we trying to overthrow the Babylonian government? All they've done for me is teach me things, give me really good food, and give me an awesome job. Why would we ever want to overthrow this? See, that's what King Neb tried to do. He tried to make the Jewish people his people so that they would stand up for him. And he actually did something even bigger to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He changed their names. So it says in Daniel 1-7 um, that he changed their names. So we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their names were actually Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So why did King Neb feel the need to change their names? Their identity, their names that everybody said, had God built into it. So Shadrach's original name, Hananiah, meant God is gracious. Mishael, which is Meshach's original name, meant he who is like God. And he changed Azariah to Abednego because Azariah meant God has helped. So he took away their original names and their original identities and gave them new ones, new ones that actually had God, you serve me and your new God. So that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all their new, those names point toward the Babylonian gods. And just real quick, I believe this is important, and I believe that people are still trying to do this to this day. You know, the culture, maybe they're not saying like, hey, Brad, your new name is Joe, or hey, your new name is this. But I think culture and the people around us, and the devil especially, You see, when we identify as how God sees us, it is a powerful weapon against lies because it is pure truth. When we know that we're creation built in his image and we're masterpieces, like it says in the Bible, then when someone comes up to us and tells us, hey, you're worthless, or hey, that's your job, like that's what you do, or hey, you're just a lazy person and they try and bring our value down, we know that they can't because our identities from Christ, from God, tell us who we are. And that's what lies do. The devil attacks in lies, and he tries to steal our identity. 
um, into the story. So at this point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have gone through the school. They've learned the language. They've been given positions of power in Jerusalem under the Babylonians. And everything's kind of working well for King Neb. But he's sitting there and he's thinking, and he's like, I should do something just to make sure that they know who's boss. And he's thinking, what should I do? What should I do? And he comes across an idea. And he says, I'm going to build a 100 foot tall, 10 foot wide statue of myself. And I'm going to make it out of pure gold so that anytime anybody sees it, they know who the boss is. They know who they answer to. So what did he do? He built it. He had people build the statue, but that wasn't enough for him. He told his people right under him, his heralds, to go out and tell society, hey, tell everybody if they hear music of any kind playing. And there's a huge list of the different um, kinds of music that we'll talk about, but it's flutes, zithers, harps, things I haven't even heard of. Basically, any type of music, if they hear it, they're to bow down to this statue that I've built. Get on their knees and prove that I am their ruler. And if they don't, just for icing on the cake, I'm already doing this to remind them, if they don't, we're gonna throw them in a furnace and we're gonna burn them to death. That's what he told the people um, to tell all of his subjects what to do. So they told them, they went around and they spread the news and um, what did the people do? They bowed down. They said, hey, I'd rather not burn to death in a furnace. That sounds not great. So I'm going to bow down. So music played and they bowed down. And that's where we picked up with our boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego again in Daniel 3, verse 8. It says, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, a little bit of a boosting his ego right here and looking good for themselves. May the king live forever is how they started. If there's a way to start when you're trying to kind of get on somebody's good size, may the king live forever is a good way to start. So that's how they started. Then they said, your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor, nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what will God be able to rescue from my hand? Or what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Out of everybody, all the subjects that were told to bow down, we hear of three. We hear of three who said, no, I'm not going to do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is where I get my first point today. If we're asking ourselves what a true faith looks like and how do we see if we have a true faith, 
I believe a true faith stands out. A true faith is easy to see. It's kind of countercultural. It's kind of, it's just different. You can see that there's something not like the others. For example, about what countercultural might look like, four weeks ago, I decided to wear sandals to church on Sunday, and I started wearing them to canvas, and I had about six people come up to me and ask me about my toes. Not, I've never had that many people come up and ask me about my feet all at once. It was like I had highlighted my feet in like rainbow colors. So many people were like, hey, what's up with the sandals? It was still kind of cold out at this time, but I came from North Carolina, so it was different. And people easily saw the difference, and they asked me about it. And we have to ask ourselves, do we look different than what everybody else does? Because if we don't, do we really have a faith? And that can be hard, because to know if we look different, we have to know what's cultural. We have to know what's in. And if what is cultural is always changing, then what's countercultural is always changing. If everybody's different, in the last five years, it feels like everybody's trying to be the rogue, the new one, the person not like anybody else. It feels like it's become cultural to be countercultural. And I believe that one version of countercultural, of standing different, that will never change, we see here from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, what did they do? They weren't the loudest in the room. They weren't the one who was debating with everybody else. They weren't the one making more noise. When people would talk to them, they wouldn't raise their voice louder and get in this competition. They stood quietly. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I've uh, come on Tuesday nights and it's real rowdy. Kids are just full of energy. And it's everywhere. Out of the 60, 70 kids we have, so many of them are bouncing around in high energy. What catches my eye is the quiet student sitting in the corner because they're different. And that's how we're supposed to be. In a world right now that's full of chaos and full of loudness, what if we came in and we said, I'm going to quietly love the people around me, my community, instead of having the loudest voice and posting all these things that I can post about what I'm doing, we said, hey, everything out there is loud. Everybody's seeking attention. Everybody's seeking glory. How I stand out is quietly doing the things God has told me to do. In that world, and that is a, that is a standout that sticks around forever. Loving people. It says in the Bible that they will know us. Jesus says, that you will be known as my disciples by this, the way that you love one another. It's not the way we speak. It's not the way I speak coming up here on stage. It's not the way we act. It's not what we post. It's how we love one another. That's what true faith looks like. It stands out in love and in quietness and listening. And we'll pick back up now with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because it continues. So, um, the king Nebuchadnezzar had given them this final warning and said, hey, if you don't do it, we're going to burn you, or we're going to burn you. We are going to uh, throw you in the furnace, and you're going to die. And they said, you know what? We have an answer to that. And that goes on in verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve 
is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But get this, this next verse is huge for me. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You know, a lot of us hear the story, and for those of you who know the story, they end up getting thrown into a furnace. But I believe that right there, their response to King Nebuchadnezzar, that's their hero moment. They said, even if you throw us in, God, God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to you. We're going to stand firm. And that's my last point, that a true faith stands firm. You see, their thought process here is completely different than how a lot of us process things. We do this thing called critical thinking. We learn it at a young age, and I have a long definition of what critical thinking is. But basically, critical thinking is just using the information you have gathered in the past, talk to other people and gathered, just kind of knowing what's going on and saying, hey, if I make choice A, what are the outcomes that could arise and which one's most likely to arise? If I make choice B, what's the outcomes that could arise and which one's the best for me? That's critical thinking. So for example, when you're young and a lot of us have young kids and a lot of us can remember this, hot stoves. You walk up to a hot stove and you touch the hot pot or pan that came off of it or you touch the hot metal, you, you jerk back and you burn yourself. And you learn really quickly. Okay, if I touch this, the outcome is I'll burn myself. So I need to let it cool. Unless it's dinner time and I'm really hungry, then I'll grab the chicken nuggets that just came out of the oven and I'll shove them in my mouth real quick. And I'll just do that little like fire breathing because it's too hot. Other than that, we do pretty good at that. We learn how to critically think. And we learn it from a young age. And we say, what benefits me the most? Because that's the choice that I want to make. We do it in our relationships. We look ahead a year, two years, three years, and we say, will this give me the life that I want? Will I have the family, the kids, the, the job, the society, the, the um, connections that I want to have in five years? A lot of us do this with our job. We say, if I take this job, will it benefit me immediately? Do I get all the benefits from this? And we think that when we make a decision, we're supposed to make it for ourselves to benefit us the most. And we see it as money. We see it as the most free time. We see it as the most stuff we can get. We want to benefit ourselves and our lives currently the most. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had an easy choice. It was bow down or burn. And they could have said, all right, if I bow down, I don't burn. If I don't bow down, I get thrown in a furnace. That seems pretty beneficial to just go ahead and bow down. To just go ahead and say, you know what? All I'm doing is bowing. It's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to do it. But what did they do? They stood firm on the truth that the benefit of serving God Outweighs, outweighs any other benefit that I could get. It's worth it. It's better. It's worth me making my decisions, not looking at my life here and saying, hey, how can I have the most success and be the happiest? It's worth looking and saying, 
God has done so much for me. And in my decisions, I need to stand firm and say, God, I know the plans you have for me. I have your promises. And these are worth dying for. They're worth giving up everything, giving up ourselves. That's what it is at the end. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that in the end, all they had to do was fully give themselves to God. And that was the biggest benefit, the biggest hope that they could ever have. Because God is what we need. Jesus came down to give us that hope to get back to him. And at the end, that's the truth and that's the firm stance we need to take. Is that this is how I'm supposed to live. And that's what they did. They didn't bow. And it made King Nebuchadnezzar mad. If you guys know the rest of the story, it says he was actually furious. So he took the boys and he had his servants tie them up left them in all their clothes. It makes sure to say that they had all their clothes on, all the things that they were tied up with were easily burnable. It says that in the Bible because it wants us to know these boys are gonna burn. Ties them up and he says, crank up the heat. Like last weekend a little bit, cranked up the heat. The King Nebuchadnezzar cranked up the heat in the furnaces seven times hotter than they normally ran. And he said, throw them in. They wouldn't bow down. They popped the furnaces open, they threw the boys in, and when they popped them open, it was so hot that the servants that threw them in actually got burnt and died. That's how hot this furnace was. They closed it up and they looked in and somebody said, hey, we threw three guys in there, right? Because I see four. There was no burning. You looked in and there were four guys standing in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and an angel that God had sent. He delivered them. And the furnace doors were open and they walked out and the Bible says there was no smell of smoke on the men. They weren't burnt at all. It says that basically you couldn't tell they were in the furnace. And this blew King Nebuchadnezzar's mind. And honestly, it was the true faith that changed his heart. He took his ways and he took his people and said, hey, We're done with our gods. If anybody talks up against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, kill them because that is the true God. And there's this huge hero moment of them coming out of the fire and surviving and life change. But I believe the hero moment wasn't them surviving. They didn't do anything to save themselves. They didn't didn't walk out. They didn't wear anything. They were saved. Shadrach, Meshach's hero moment is when they stood firm and they said, even if I don't, or even if God doesn't deliver us, we're all his and we're not gonna bow down. And that's my question to us. Is that the faith that we're living with? That we believe our God knows what's best for us and will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we'll still love him. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for the Bible and that we can learn so much about you and about faith in you through it. I thank you for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they are able to show us what true faith looks like. And in a world that's loud and chaotic and there's just people yelling and talking and all that kind of stuff, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego teach us that we stand out for God not by being the loudest in the room, but by quietly standing and loving the people around us. We thank you that we can have a true faith 
that stands firm because we know that you can deliver us, God. But even if you don't, we're all yours. We're willing to give up everything because of the truth of your love and because we know you are a good God who's worth it all. I pray that we can go out, enjoy our independence day to day and remember that we are independent. We can be independent from sin because you sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins and take on our pain for us. I pray that we can continue to grow closer to you and that we can stand out and stand firm in our lives. Amen.